Good morning and welcome to your favorite Friday morning podcast, Conversations with Buddy, brought to you by The Wreck, way more than a bowling alley. We give you the ability to connect each week with our guests because we believe people matter, you matter. We are grateful to all the listeners who take the time each week to hear the stories of our guests. Please help us grow the show by taking a moment right now and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and give us a review. Our purpose of this podcast is to impact the world one testimony at a time. This morning, I am truly and excited and grateful to introduce you to my guest and friend, Scott Bigler. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Welcome. Yeah. So I was thinking you, you might have just got off shift last night, but because you worked night shift for Kaiser PD, is that right? Um, I, I worked half the year I worked night shift, half the year where I worked day shift. Oh, that's, that's a tough transition. Yeah. You okay. can thank my uh, new chief for that transition. <laughs> thank you, chief. Thank you, chief. Yeah, yeah. Is that a good transition? Is like, um, I oh, do what I'm told. You do what you told. Yeah, and you do it with a a grateful heart. The graceful heart. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, you. We'll talk about kind of your culture stuff here in a little bit because I want to hear more about the culture. You have a joy. I can see it. So yeah. Let me just introduce you real quick. Let the audience know who you are. I know who you are, but one thing I always say is, no matter how well I know somebody, I always learn something new. And that's really the joy that I have is getting to know people better. It's really what it is for me. Even in doing mortgages, you know, that's, I don't love doing mortgages per se, mm -hmm. but I love people. Right. And I love real estate. Mm -hmm. So anyway, number one, you say, Jesus is my God. That must be important because that was number one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Absolutely. I'm engaged to a beautiful woman. Her name is Bobby. Uh, when's the wedding date? It's in May. Okay, yeah. this year. Yeah, this coming year. up. Coming up. Wow, that is exciting. <laughs> you have three children: Brooke Ann, she's 32; mm -hmm. Melina, 24; and Blake is 18. Yeah. Now Blake's out of high school, right? He's yeah. He graduated last year and okay. is now a working adult. They call it adulting now, I guess. Adulting, yeah. yeah. Our kids don't like to adult, but no, it's a transition it. phase. Heck, I'm mid fifties. I'm still wondering if I like adulting yeah. yet. Uh, let's see. Bobby has two daughters. Allie's twenty four and Kai is eighteen. Um, so you're born and raised in Kaiser, is that correct? Yes. And I I need to correct myself before I get in trouble. Kai's twenty one, actually. I I miswrote. Gotcha. Kai's 21. Yeah. All right. You were divorced after 17 years uh, in marriage to Megan. Mm -hmm. Okay. Associate degree from Chemeketa. I assume that was in law enforcement or? Um, yes and no. I, I kind of just did a general degree. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have to have a degree to be in uh, law enforcement? No, you just need a high school diploma. Now, some agencies require more, um, but that's even turning... Some agencies used to require a bachelor's, but now with the hiring crisis we have in law enforcement, a lot of that is being reduced. Well, that's interesting because back when I went to college at Western Oregon State College, a lot of my buddies, they went through the police academy, mm -hmm. and I thought you had to, and they went to work for either Corvallis PD, Mammoth PD, mm -hmm. Salem PD, Kaiser PD, whatever, but I just thought you had to, mm -hmm. and yeah. that might have been the truth back then, but not now. Um, no, the, they're state standards and, um, it's never been a requirement to have a two year or four year degree. Really? Yeah. Some agencies made that choice for their own entry requirements, mm -hmm. um, but not as a whole standard for the state. Gotcha. Yeah. But it was a degree and I guess that's something you could choose in college. Like, Hey, I'll, I'll go into law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, I know you work night shift and you're transitioning to day shift. You kind of do both. Yeah, I've worked day shift for the last month or so. Okay. Yeah. And then the last thing you say is you love the beavers and golf. Yeah. So you, what makes you love uh, the beavers? Well, my sister uh, went to OSU. Okay. And I, I never went the four-year route just because of money, and I'm not great in the classroom, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I neither. just, I, studying isn't, you know, why spend money on something that I really don't need? I mean, that led to a, a journey of... Uh, Picking my career late in life a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, four-year school wasn't for me. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't just jump into being police. You were something else before. So we'll talk about that in a moment. Sure. The last thing you say, though, you love golf. Mm-hmm. I've known you for a while, but I didn't know you loved golf, and apparently yeah. you golf quite a bit. I, I golf when I can, a couple okay. times a month. Yeah. Hey, that's perfect, man. Yeah. 
And I'd love to go golf with you sometime. Yeah, absolutely. So let's plan that. Well, let's dive in and just, uh, well, uh, definitely unpack a lot of what we we have here. So, yeah. so you're born and raised in Kaiser. Yeah. Um, what school did you go to? Uh, I guess I went, only, there's only a few schools to go to. Yeah. Um, I went to Kaiser grade school back when it was at River and Shamawa. Um, and then I went to Whitaker and then I went to McNary. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's only one high school, so that's, right? that's your only choices. Yeah. Salem's got a few more, but. Yeah. And a lot more people, from what I hear, tra- transfer schools nowadays too, for various reasons. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But back then it was, you went where you lived. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about your family, your mom and dad. Uh, are they still alive? Tell, just tell us about that. I'm curious how they impacted who you are today. Yeah. Um, I was very blessed with a very stable childhood. Yeah. Um, my mom and dad uh, were married for 40 plus years. And in fact, my dad still lives in the house they bought in 1970 in Kaiser. And they bought it for $16,000. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I wish we could go back to that day and right? buy about 10 houses or 20. But my dad likes to remind me every time I go back down that lane with him is that he made like $2 an hour then too. That's true. That's yeah. true. And interest rates were... At 12% yeah. or 15 or yeah, something like that. So it was a little different, but... Um, and then um, I have a sister who's six years older. Um, you know, she made all the mistakes so I could be the perfect child, of course. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then... Um, you know, I had a really good, stable childhood. My mom stayed at home. Uh, my dad worked um, um, at, it was at West Coast Fruit and Produce, and then it turned into Super Value. Then it turned into Winco Bottom Out yeah. in their warehouse. And that was down um, where the, uh, where G.I. Joe's and Dick's Sporting Goods on Lancaster is. Yep. Um, right behind there, it's now the Corrections Warehouse, but it used to be that whole complex used to be Super Value and Winco Warehouse. So he worked there um, for 30 plus years. Wow. Never made, um, you know, I was raised, I didn't know we were low middle class. Yeah. Because I was warm and I was fed and I was loved and nothing else, you nothing know. Nothing else matters, does it? Yeah, no. Um, but um, yeah, so. Had a good childhood, um, graduated, and uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do for a living. Yeah. yeah. Now, you mentioned your mom and dad were married for 40-some years. Are they both still alive? Uh, my dad is. Uh, my mom um, fought a long battle with cancer and okay. died in 2012. Okay. But yeah. they were married up until that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, in fact, my dad, one of the things that gave me an advantage in my life is I had a lot of good modeling. You know, and I think that's really important. Modeling. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and my dad was there with my mom to the very end. And mm-hmm. yeah, and she had a long battle, seven, eight years fighting cancer. And um, it finally took her. Um, but yeah. She would have been in her, what, mid 60s? Late 60s, mid to late 60s. Yeah. Um, yeah, mid 60s. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, she was a good woman. It's interesting. My my mom and dad were married for 49 and a half years, and then, you know, my mom battled with uh, COPD, and mm. eventually she died in her mid to late 60s as well. So, similar story, just that's why I want to bring that up, but yeah, uh, yeah. my dad's been a widow ever since, and, yeah. but interesting. Yeah. Okay, so you go to McNary, yeah, like you and me both, uh, school wasn't really fun. Mm-hmm. Did you go right into Chemeketa or did you take some time off before you went to Chemeketa? I took a year off. Um, the plan was for me to go to college, and um, but I went to my parents and I just said, hey, you know, I'd like to take a year off, just take a break, you know, um, I'll be working, you know, and they allowed me to stay at their home for a little bit. Totally. Um, but yeah, I, t- I took that year off. Um, and then the following year I enrolled in Chemeketa. Um, but I was always struggling with, um, what I wanted to do and what, um, classroom just wasn't, you know, my thing. Yeah. I hear you. And I was a great student. It wasn't any of that. I, I just didn't enjoy classroom. I don't know why. Yeah. Well, you can be good at something and actually not like it. Yeah. And that's where people get stuck. They're, they're good at something. Maybe it's their job. They're good at it, but they absolutely hate it and they stay. Right. Now that's misery. That's, that's like... Probably what hell probably feels like. Yeah. 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 And then, so during that whole time, I was kind of deciding um, what I wanted to do. And I actually, law enforcement started to be in the picture a little bit because at first I wanted to be a travel agent. 
right? Too cool. It's fun, right? Absolutely. And back then there was not internet or any of that. So it was like, hey, let's, uh, you know, I'll get to travel for free and do that. And then I had a, a distant relative who was a travel agent uh -huh. and she, computers were coming online, internet was starting to AOL with the whole dial-up CD yeah, yeah. thing. Yeah. And um, she told me, she's like, you know, you don't want this career. Internet's going to take it over and there's not going to be a career here pretty soon. Don't do it. And I was like, and then I was like, ah, you know, but then I'm like, yeah, maybe I should look at something else. And then um, in the uh, newspaper one day, I saw an advertisement for cadets for Salem Police. Hmm. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds kind of honorable, honorable and fun. Let's try that. So that's, that's where it all began for you. Yeah, a little bit. Okay. When did you, uh, so you go to take a year off, go to college. When did you get married? Um, I didn't get married until, well, I met Megan in my uh, late 20s or oh. mid 20s. Okay. And then I got married in, in my late 20s. Wow. Yeah. How old was Megan at that time too? Uh, she was four years younger. Okay. Yeah. And then you guys had kids? Yeah. Um, Burkan and Melina are from previous uh, relationship. Gotcha. Um, I never like to use the word stepchildren because I think that demeans yeah. them as an individual and my relationship with them. So they're my kids. You they're know? your dad. Yeah. And... Um, Brickan was seven or eight when I started okay. um, dating Megan and being in a, you know, a father figure for them. And Melina was a year old. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. You were right in the middle of it, man. Yeah. Just add water and instant dad. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And then you guys uh, had your son a few years later. Yeah. A few years later. Um, by that time, I had become an officer um, because, you know, when you start relationships and, and, uh, have a family, you, cause I was just working odd jobs here and there. Got it. I, at, for a long time, I kind of wanted to be a UPS driver. Okay. Cause there's good money in that. Great money. Yeah. And I, and for about four or five years, I worked at Airborne Express, which was the third largest delivery company behind uh, FedEx and UPS. Hmm. And I really enjoyed that work. Yeah. It just, we were our self-employed there contractor and it just didn't pay a lot of money. It wasn't paying the bills. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's right. They do, a lot of those companies do contract out and mm -hmm. they make you work like you're self-employed and give you lots of hours and pay you very little. Right, yeah. That doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you, you get married, you have kids, mm -hmm. you have an innocent family. Yeah. And uh, what are the lessons from being married to Megan? Because marriage is hard, by the way. I think we can Absolutely. all agree, yeah. male or female, you know, Marriage is tough. Mm -hmm. What are some of those lessons that you learned looking back? Because you guys eventually went through a divorce. Mm -hmm. um, what'd you learn? I learned that what I, you know, and this is me coming from a dad. And I had good models. My dad was a good man, you mm -hmm. know, and he, but I even looking back, he even had these faults to a point. Um, what I thought was a good father is not what my family needed. Right. And when I say that is I base my foundation of value as a member of uh, the family, as a provider and a protector. Right. That's right. And um, so I worked a lot and I made sure my family was safe and they were fed and they had a roof over the house. And um, especially, you know, as a cop starting a career in that and learned, going through all that, you know, and being afraid of safety and especially my family's safety. I thought that was number one job was making sure they were safe and making sure they were provided for. And God through many years and many tribulations taught me that's not, that's not what's needed. Yeah. Yeah. I heard recently from a coworker, we're just talking about, you know, different things in the office and just, you know, moms and dads and just different a conversation about what men view as their worth is oftentimes their work. Mm -hmm. I'm that guy too, just like you, Scott. I like, mm -hmm. I find a lot of worth in my work. Right. In fact, so much so my identity was, I didn't realize even until even a few years ago how much my identity was in my work. Because mm -hmm. that's my default. I can go to work and everything's all good. Right. But as women, what I learned from hearing from another woman was it's her family. Mm -hmm. So you and I show up, when we go do our work, we provide and we keep them safe and we think that's all there is. Mm -hmm. But apparently what you're saying is that 
you learned that there's more to that. Yeah. Unpack that a little bit. What What do you mean? Well, how, how would you do that? Yeah, it was during my marriage. Um, you know, there were some challenges. My wife was had a mental illness. She was bipolar. Um, that added some challenges to my marriage, um, and just the family unit more so later on in the marriage. Um, and then also my reaction and my relationships and interactions with my kids and wife were the key parts that really, what I thought was okay, wasn't okay. What they, what I thought they needed, they really didn't care about. And I would come home from, you know, when I work at great, I work graveyard for way too long, like 10 years straight. Wow. That's rough. Yeah. And that, you know, I was in a constant state of fatigue. Um, I, um, thought I was doing everything okay at home. Um, obviously, you know, you get in arguments or disagreements and there's little adjustments, but overall, if, if my kids or wife would label me, um, yeah, as a great dad and father, you know, or a great uh, husband and father. Um, but what I didn't know and didn't take the time or energy to figure out was I was depressed. I was tired. I was Hmm. hurting what uh, the purpose I had um, wasn't there, you know? And it wasn't until my daughter, you know, my wife would, Megan would tell me many times, hey, what can I do to help you out more? You know, and she did everything she could to try to switch the light on for me and get me to connect with the kids, not so much on a symbolic level, but an emotional level. And I just didn't do that. You know, I, I didn't give the kids that connection that they needed. Um, and it wasn't really, in, in, I didn't figure it out until um, Melina, my middle daughter, one day basically said, you know, you're kind of a jerk, Dad. And that threw my whole world upside down because I labeled myself as a good provider. What do you mean I'm jerked? You know? Yeah. And at first I um, was defiant to that. You know, and I was like, you don't know what you're talking about. But then I just did a lot of praying and mm. and looking in and and reflecting on what Megan tried to tell me for several years. And um, she, they were right, you know. So mm. that, that started a journey of, of um, healing. It started a journey of um, counseling. And, um, you know, it, I, I think God provided that moment to prepare for what happened in the future. Because yeah. if I was still how I was back then, it would have been, um, it would have been much more difficult yeah. for me and my kids. How long ago did Melina tell you that? And then maybe how, how does that transition to how that affected you as a future moment happened? Yeah. Um, that was like in the 2000, she was in high schoolish. Um, 2015, 2016. Okay. Yeah. And then... So almost almost nine or 10 years ago, mm-hmm. a little wake-up call, come to Jesus meeting, we call right. that. Yeah. And that really reflected my faith, you know. Um, I became much more... Because um, I was raised Catholic. Okay. Um, my sister and my dad are still devout Catholics. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that did for me gave me a foundation of religion, but I found it very... Um, and this is only my opinion. Um, for me, I didn't. It felt very mechanical and very uh, procedural um, and legalistic, and um, and that's probably led to my faith path throughout yeah. my years. Yeah. And it took a long time. Now, when I uh, married to Megan, I uh, went to New Harvest Church for yeah. many, many years, and and Barry is the pastor there, and great man. And that started to open the door of mm. this is more of a relational thing, not a procedural thing, mm. you know? Um, but even then, even with my marriage, it still took, you know, I was still in that funk and up until about 2015, um, it's kind of my reawakening, I call it. If yeah. I made a lot of life changes. <clears throat> you know, I know that God loves us, but he allows pain in our life to humble us, mm. to wake us up. I've been down the road too, you know, yeah. thinking I have it all figured out. And realizing one day I don't. Yeah. I'm like, that's a shocking moment for men to, to figure out we don't have it all together. We mm-hmm. thought we did. and But God needs us to be humble. And what does humility, as, uh, as your life progresses since 2015, 
to the moment we're here. You and I grabbed coffee, mm-hmm. what, 30 days ago, and mm-hmm. it was really good to just catch up with you early yeah. morning. Yeah. You remember my friend showed up at 7 a.m. Yeah. He just randomly was in there. Yeah. You know, a, a, a felon for probably a decade before, but now right. his life has changed. Oh, he's an amazing man. You know, where's that led you to today? You know, you're now in a relationship, you're engaged, can be married, mm-hmm. but a lot's unpacked in the last 10 years. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's a, that whole journey has allowed me to be more, um, authentic outwardly. Um, and people, and especially one thing I learned is people will gravitate to if you're authentic, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to be um, a smoke show. They don't want to be deceived. And a lot in this world we have is, you know, they do um, what we have for profit or, you know, everything is presented a certain way. And uh, humans, uh, what I found, and no matter if it's in law enforcement or in um, day-to-day life, they just want authentic relationship and authentic interactions. And that means if you messed up, you messed up. You know, if you um, um, are upset, say you're upset, you know, whether it be in your marriage or in your workplace or any of that, you know. So much now is in power and control. Um, whether it be politics or um, corporate world, you know, and humans are are striving for authentic connections with people, you know. Yeah. So, do you want to unpack a little bit of the story of what happened, just so the audience kind of knows? Yeah. The journey you've been down, and and uh, I know this is a sensitive topic, but yeah, you want yeah. to chat yeah. about it? So, um, like I mentioned earlier, Megan was bipolar. Um, I did not. Um, she told me when we were dating, um, obviously, you know, I was in my mid twenties and yeah. thought, well, oh, okay. I didn't have any experience with that in my previous life. No I problem. She's like, yeah, I'm doing what I can to, to medicate and to, and I didn't see what I interpreted in my limited experience in life of what mentally ill was. She doesn't seem crazy, you know? Um, so I had no problem with that. Um, and the, um, or that didn't, I should say, that didn't prevent me from wanting to be in a relationship totally. with her, you know. Um, and then, you know, for the longest time, um, I started to learn more and more about her struggle that she endures. Um, and for those that don't know, bipolar is uh, one of the, like their schizophrenia bipolar yeah. are like two of the main, main severe mental illnesses. And what bipolar is, is um, peaks, either you're manic or you're depressive. Mm. The goal is to minimize those peaks as much as possible in life and have the flat balance areas for as long as you can. Um, There's no cure for it. There's no, um, what I learned now over the years, there's no cure for it. There's no um, totally eliminating it from your life. Um, and in fact, recent research is also suggesting that it's also progressive disease, that it actually does damage to your brain. So it can, um, um, the condition does get worse the older you get, um, especially in bipolar one, which there's bipolar one, bipolar two, bipolar one is labeled as if you have more than one serious manic episode in your life. It's the worst of the two. The worst of the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Megan had bipolar one. Okay. So, um, in the beginning of our marriage, a manic episode would look like, um, she wouldn't sleep for a couple of days. She, um, would, um, be very productive you know, um, be very um, attention orientated and then be doing a lot of things. And um, in the beginning, um, it was, it's usually for Megan, everyone's different. For Megan, it was based off some major stressor. Mm. They're really, um, they they do know that like change of seasons can be a trigger, but it's also, um, for her, it was like some major stressor. Um, and I didn't, have enough knowledge and, and as a husband and someone who loved a bipolar um, person to try to alleviate as much stress during those times, you know, if I knew now what I knew about, you know, one yeah. of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the manic episodes were fairly minor. Um, they just look like a tough week maybe in a normal person's life. 
Um, it kind of started though, um, and what's difficult for bipolar, people can see someone in manic, but they don't always know when their um, bipolar is in the depressive stage. Mm. And like any person who's battling depression, you don't want to talk about it. You don't want to know it. And, um, or you don't want to share it a lot unless you really been through, you know, have a strong connection or some strong therapy, but you just want to sleep. You want to hide. You want to curl up in a ball a lot of times with severe depression. And so, but a lot of people don't see that because, you know, you're sheltered. Um, so Megan didn't know, or a lot of people didn't know Megan was hurting, Mm. you know, um, to the very last day, um, because she didn't share that a lot, but, um, Anyway, and it was always a consistent cycle. Um, In the beginning, it was like a week or two weeks of manic, and then it was like a month of depressive. But the depressive, they'd always kind of balance. With Megan, it was, um, if the manic wasn't that going to be bad, the depressive wasn't going to be that bad. Okay, yeah. Um, The depressive was always a little longer. The episode was always a little longer than the manic, but it always, it was kind of weird how that worked. Yeah. Um, and she was never a lady who, she always took her medicine. She was someone who, um, religiously tried to get better. Yeah. I will say, looking back, um, her, uh, the kids and her family and I have kind of said, we wish she would have worked harder at the long-term trauma she had in her childhood and that kind of things. Cause I think that was a triggering factor for her. Mm. Um, but it still wouldn't have changed the chemical imbalance you yeah. know, of bipolar, but um, as the marriage continued, um, where it really started to hit challenge roads is when my mom died in 2012. My Megan was really close to my mom. Huh, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause that's not very often that you hear a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law super close. So yeah. that's really interesting and good to hear. Yeah. And then, um, so that's when I really first started to notice manic episode affecting everyone else's life as well. Um, but in that way, it was different because she was mad at cancer. So she tried to go beat cancer. She went out for like a week and a half, went to every business on River Road and raised like $25,000 for uh, the cancer um, event they have sometimes over at Shmau Indian School. And she didn't sleep during those seven days. But And everyone would look at her and go, wow, she's that's a really great job. And yes, it is. But she doesn't sleep at night and she's walking, you know, wow. one of those things. Yeah. yeah. But that's how people, it looked like on the outside. Mm. What they didn't see though is after that, she went into a pretty depressive state, you know? Um, and I had to walk, try to walk by her and not, you know, the tough thing when you love someone in that condition is you feel helpless, yeah, not in control. And mm. being an officer and a, in law enforcement and a male, I'm all about being in control. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And um, so that caused a lot of stress for everyone, you know. Mm. Um, the kids really didn't realize it. Um, Megan was a fantastic mom, loved her kids with all her heart, you know. Yeah. And uh, she, uh, um, the kids really didn't know the severity of the, her, their mom's illness until later on, you know. And then, um, so there was my mom, and then actually it went really bad in, um, right before the, uh, when the moon, I'm forgetting the name, when the moon covered the sun, 2017. Oh, the eclipse? The eclipse. Um, She, right at that time, she started a pretty severe manic episode, and it became pretty, that was the first destructive one. Okay. It did a lot of damage. So the eclipse can affect people's? Um, I don't know if that was the cause of it. I, I don't know. Um, it's just that timing. Um, and, um, the, and the one thing I wish I I could have controlled and I have regrets about if I was a better cop's husband, um, because she was a cop's wife for a lot of years and that's not an easy thing. Yeah. And if I realized the extra challenges of being a cop's wife at the time and, um, being bipolar, I would have done things completely different. Yeah. I'd say it's always 2020 or it gives you at least a glimpse of what 2020 could be like. Right. Exactly. And then, um, she did some damaging things. Um, she made some, um, and like I said earlier about she was mad at cancer. She was frustrated with law enforcement. 
she, from that stress of years of being a cop's wife and seeing the media anti-police this and that, um, she went on a manic state of doing certain things um, that became fairly destructive in my profession. Not for me as an individual, as a cop, but just for herself. Um, And um, she she then tried to rectify that and start a business um, and spent like $30,000 in a month rented a store and just a lot of grandiose things. Cause that's what manic episode is. Lots, a mm-hmm. lot of grandiose yeah. um, things and a lot of big things happen in a short amount of time. And that's where I've really started to, I hit rock bottom there a little bit because the stress level, you know, is, yeah. m- my wife's not sleeping. She, I don't know where she's at some days. Um, she's out. I see our checking account reducing drastically. And I, have a store or a landlord calling me about a business that we rented. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. So it was those kind of things. Um, and I didn't handle it well. And I decided to separate for a little bit. Yeah. Um, that was 2017? 2017. Okay. So I went to live with my dad. And that was a tough time for my kids. And I, I didn't, they, they could see things, but they didn't understand completely what mom was going through. And I, I didn't. You know, I would tell them little things, especially in the moments where, well, why is mom out, you know, in the middle of 4 a.m. on Lancaster Avenue barefoot and walking and getting police called on her, you know, those kind of things, you know. I had to walk, help them through those things, um, but they didn't really understand the long-term concepts of the disease. Um, So we walked through that. Um, She came out of her manic episode. And, and the, an amazing thing with someone, when someone's in manic episode, um, the best way I can describe it to someone, it's like if you love someone who's Alzheimer's patient, mm-hmm. the person you know is not there. Mm. Completely different person. And when man, or when Megan was in depressive and recovery from a manic stage, especially in the later parts, um, she didn't remember a lot of things. So it's really amazing um, to see, you know, just be with someone who recovering from a manic episode because they don't know everything. Yeah. And that causes embarrassment and a lot of uh, healing path for them too, which doesn't help the depressive stage. Right. Yeah. And do you go from manic to depressive like right away? Do you crash right away or is there like a gap in between the manic and depressive? Um, I don't, I can speak for Megan. I don't know about, you know, because I'm not a psychologist. I don't know. With Megan, it was, um, it was a slower transition. Um, so there was like a peak of mania and it, and it was really unique where their, their voice would change. Their, um, obviously mannerisms would change. It was like a whole nother person. Um, and then it would slowly, you would see little signs of if like Megan's manic episodes in the end lasted three months, four months, an extraordinary long time. It's like somebody on a drug, like, a, you know, where they don't sleep. Yeah. They're just busy, busy, busy. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so it was, I could tell when the peak was because I could always base it on if she was sleeping or not. So if she started to sleep again, like an hour or two, I knew it was starting to lower a little bit, but it would take a couple of weeks okay. um, for her. And then there was a little, like maybe a week period of balance and then the depressive stage would start pretty And quick. that would always last longer than the yeah. manic. Yeah, yeah. So um, 2017, we're still, she comes out of mania and I remember in Thanksgiving time, I lived with my dad for a couple months and at that time I was like, I don't know, I'm just trying to ride the wave of maybe she would come out of it and uh, we could save a marriage and our family, you yeah. know, um, but I didn't know. Um, so the um, he, how should I say this? At Thanksgiving time, um, she came back and she was she was pretty much out of the manic episode, and she realized a little bit of what happened, and she wanted to try to make it work again. And during that time, um, in fact, you did one of the mortgages and refinances. We. Uh, we thought, Megan thought we were getting a divorce. I didn't want to, but I didn't, couldn't tell her 
you know, anything else other than because she was manic. Um, I was hoping that we could write it out a little bit, but um, the house was sold. Um, but during that time, she came back and said, hey, um, I'd like to try to make it work again. And um, I prayed about it for, I told her, I'm like, I need a couple days because this was pretty mm. traumatic for everyone, you know. Um, but I, I agreed to try to make the marriage work again. And it was a, uh, a path of, uh, I needed uh, plans and placing when this mm. happened again. Yeah. And I needed her reinsurance to do that. Um, I look back at it now, it's like, well, the reassurance oral is good as long as she's not manic, you know? Right. You know, and I didn't really think about that at the time. And I don't regret anything I did or choices I made because I love Megan. Um, and it was the best thing for my kids at the time. Um, but we got back together. Um, we bought a, uh, well, we stayed in an apartment for a little bit just to see how, you know, the, the came back together went in Silverton. And then we bought a house here in Kaiser again um, in 2019. And then, um, or, 2018, something like that. Yeah. And then, um, in 2019, she had another Mac episode and that was, that was a real shock to me because they usually were more spread out every six to seven years. And this one happened a year and a half after the last one. So we're starting to get closer and longer. Right. Yeah. Okay. But I was really proud of her. Um, and the 2019, obviously, is the whole COVID thing and all that, right? Yeah. And the beginning of 2019 was a very tough, even before COVID was a thing, it was a very, probably one of my darkest times of my life. Just, I, um, we had a coworker, Dan Carroll, who was dying of cancer, and that was pretty traumatic for us as a department and me as an individual. Um, my dad got deathly ill, you know, we found out he had a congestion of heart failure and he was trying to kind of ignore his way into a silent death and, and, uh, got really water weight and bloated. And, and, uh, so he ended up after a small journey with that, he ended up being in the hospital for a very long time. So me and Megan were down at the hospital for like seven, eight hours a day with my dad, between my dad and Dan, and they were both in ICU and Dan's on his deathbed and the doctors are like, well, we don't know if, your dad's going to make it, you know? And then, um, what I didn't, what I didn't think about the time is the stress impact on Megan, you know? And that started another manic episode for her. It's always a trigger. It seems mm -hmm. like. Yeah. With her, it was. Yeah. yeah. So then, um, so Dan ended up passing away and my dad was still in ICU and my wife's now going manic. <laughs> and that looked like, but I was proud of her. Um, she fought, you know, and a lot of people don't understand, um, unless you've been there with someone fighting this disease, that the battle they fight every day, mm. it's, it's a day-to-day -day battle. Even in balanced times, quote unquote, they're always fighting it. And what's tough with bipolar is manic, um, they feel good. That's when they feel their best is during the manic episode. It's like a drug, yeah. you know, in a way. Yeah. Okay. And after all this pain and stuff they have during depressive cycles or even a balanced phase, they still have, you know, certain depressive qualities. Yeah, yeah. Um, they feel at their best. So, um, but I was proud of her. She tried to fight through that manic episode a little bit. And part of our plan was if she, if we started to see signs of manic episode, she would uh, check herself in at a voluntary hospital uh, up at Kaiser Permanente at Sunnyside in yeah. Clackamas, up Portland area. And um, she did that. And that's that was a first step for her. Mm. Uh, and I was really proud of her. Um, so she checked herself into the hospital. Um, my dad stabilized to the point where he was able to go to Avamir. Um, and the following day, um, and Megan had been in the hospital for about three days at that point. And the morning of Dan's funeral, uh, Dan's wife had asked me to give the eulogy at his, at his uh, funeral. Right. So I wrote that off and it was an honor, you know, yeah. right? What an honor. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to say no to a wife. No. For, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. You can't do that. You, yeah. You have to do that. Yeah. Um, so I was getting ready for the funeral and Avamir called 
and said, hey, we think your dad's not going to make it. He's being rushed down to ER. Um, he's not breathing well. His oxygen's super low. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I had to call Andrew Copeland, who's now chief at Kaiser. Yeah. And I said, hey, Andy, I need you to, or I call him Cope. I need you to do the eulogy at Dan's funeral. I can't be there with like an hour and a half notice. <laughs> and so um, I went to the, down to ER and they had the big trauma card out at my dad's room and I'm locking up and I thought my dad had died with all the doctors around and all that. But he was honoring enough to pull through and, and um, ever since that morning, he's had a slow recovery. And they, it was... The, the end medical report on my dad was like he almost died three times, whether he had got sepsis while in the hospital. Wow. His congestive heart failure um, was pretty, he has a leaky heart valve, and then it started into this, um, um, I forget the name of it, but older people get like dementia qualities while yeah. in the hospital. Okay. Yeah. Um, so he he was a hot mess, I like to call it. <laughs> but he made it through and he's, he's alive to this man. day. Yeah. But that day, um, so my dad was in the ER. I was down there all day and about to like five or six, some family members had picked up Blake because um, he was a freshman at McNary. And I'm like, I need to go home and be with my boy, you know, because the next day we're supposed to go up and visit his mom. You know, yeah, and um, so I get home and I check in with Blake a little bit, and then right then Megan calls me, and um, and she's in a much chipper voice. She's like, "Hey, just let you know, I'm uh, I'm checked out. I'm headed home." And I'm like, "Oh, okay," and obviously knowing that wasn't part of the the program, and um. That night she came in, or she came, and the amazing thing about Megan with, even through her bipolar, she never treated the kids bad. She always treated them with love and care. It was an amazing thing to see, um, even when she's at her sickest moments. Um, So then um, she, uh, after she took Blake in, and Blake knew kind of something wasn't right. It was like, well, why mom's getting out of the hospital, you know? And I'm like, oh, we'll talk about tomorrow, buddy. We'll we'll get a game plan and keep going, you know? And um, anyway, she put Blake to bed, and she came out and just started giving it to me, yelling at me and accusing me of stuff, and which uh, none of it was true, and just saying I was put tracers in her um it was a bunch of delusional stuff sure it wasn't, obvious it wasn't stuff. megan it was yeah it wasn't megan it was romantic yeah. stuff and she's like i'm the f out of here and she left and we didn't know where she was for a while like how long uh, a couple months she just disappeared disappeared yeah in 2019 2019 and the next week is when COVID started <laughs> so COVID really was early 2020, like March of 2020, right? Yeah, I thought it was 19, but I may be wrong on that. March March 15th of 2020 is when every company I know was sent home. And okay, so this all happened in 20. Then I may be off on my ear. No, no worries. Yeah. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was during that whole like two week period of my dad and Dan, my coworker dying, and Megan's yeah. manic, and then. And at that point, I was at my lowest. Um, I had a test of my faith, and I'm like, God, what? what's your purpose here? I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I'm reading through Job right now because starting over at the beginning of the year is you read through the Bible, or mm-hmm. that's the goal, right? Yeah, yeah. You go through Genesis. You halfway, well, you get to chapter 11 in Genesis, and it takes you over to Job. Because, mm-hmm. But the story of Job is, you know, and sometimes we read Job, and he's a good man, and mm-hmm. but then he goes through all this testing, and you wonder, what's the lesson? Yeah. And the lesson is, doesn't matter what you go through, will you trust God? Right. So, sounds like this, you're going through a Job moment. Right, absolutely. And by the way, I think we all go through a Job moment. Absolutely. Maybe even more than once in life. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. All right. Yeah, so then, um, she, uh, I could... I could semi-track her through her charges on her debit card or our checking account um, through hotels and spending, which started to get severe again. Was she still in Oregon or did she leave? Uh, she was up in Washington area. Yeah. Did she have family up there? Or? No, but a lot of times with during her manic episode, she got as far as away from her stressors as she could. Got it. Didn't matter where she was at as long as she's away mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. yeah. The trigger. Yeah. Um, 
So that started a path. Um, I, I was having, this went on for several months. And at that point, for myself, I was like, I, I don't know how much longer I could do this, you know, just for the marriage part. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Um, I mean, that, that was a hard place to be because I, it's, Megan is someone who I know, someone that I love, but not the manic Megan, you know? Absolutely. But it's so devastating in so many ways. Um, but I had some hard talks with Blake, you know, because he was now home every day with COVID and doing whatever yeah. online thing yeah. that was during that. Um, time. And he's like, Dad, if I, I, I think it's best if, you know, he gave the blessing of, not that I asked his permission, but I want to get his input that if the marriage ends just because of all the damage it was causing, whether it be the triggers for Megan um, on my past mistakes of not being a connected husband and being a cop's wife, which isn't easy. Yeah. You know? um, but he gave that blessing. So I started to be okay with it, of mm. thinking, yeah, okay. I'm willing to give up on the idea of marriage because I was raised in a family, you know, that never gave up and yeah. family was everything, you know. And um, it was, it's kind of funny, a realtor actually knocked on my door one day. And Megan hadn't lived there for three to four years. And we were still kind of in a limbo waiting period to see what would happen with her manic episode because it was still going on for three to four months. Yeah. And a realtor knocked on my door to saying that she was there to take pictures to list the house. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Do tell. Yeah. So she's like, wait, you don't, anyway, that's, but you know, in a lot of ways, I think that was just God's way of saying it's time. Okay. You know? Yeah. And it's, you know, and that was part of me wanting to be in control of stuff. Well, God's in control, not me. And the decision, that decision, I didn't fight it. You know, I'm like, all right, let's readjust, move on and start something new. Yeah. So the divorce went through and uh, I got a small little apartment. And then uh, the healing process began. Yeah. Yeah. And then a um, uh, couple years went by. And then um, May, after Megan got out of her manic episode, she wanted to get back together again. But you guys, have, your divorce was final. It was still, with COVID, it took a long time. So got it was it. getting finalized, but it not totally wasn't finalized. finalized. Got and it. and um, I told her no. And that was one of the hardest things I ever had to do. I just couldn't keep doing it, you know. And um, the, um, but we agreed to be the best co the co parents we could for Blake because he was having a tough time, you know, mm-hmm. with everything going on. The girls were already moved out at this point in time. Um, yes, for the most part, yeah, yeah. Melina had moved out shortly before. Brickhead had moved out a long time ago, and and um, she uh, has, in fact, she has her own child and busy doing her own thing. Yeah. Although they got kind of wrapped up and into it later. But um, yeah, so it was just kind of Blake feeling the day-to-day burden of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to take anything away from what Melina and uh, Brickan went through. It was yeah. devastating for them too. But um, Blake was having a tough time. So we did a lot of good co-parenting and it was working really well. Um, you know, we, um, I always honored Megan to the kids, yeah. you know, um, and I think that's what God would want me to do Amen. because the one thing I learned is that kids look to their parents as that's part me. So if my other parent is mad at them, well, then you're also mad at me because mm-hmm. that's partly me, you know? Yeah. So I refuse, even when I was angry or frustrated with Megan, I would never, um, you know, I would always try to honor her as their mom, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but then it, she got another manic episode, you know? Um, early last year, and I wasn't as involved. And before the, um, I was always kind of the quote unquote punching bag a little bit. I'd take a lot of the heat, yeah, um, just because I was one of her main stressors in her life, yeah. yeah. Um, and um, I wasn't there to to help it day to day or to kind of absorb it. And so the kids took a lot of that on, and it was really tough on them. And it was a hard path to see my kids, you know, kind of realize. And I would try to help them little tidbits here and there of what it's like to love someone. And that's when they really realized how serious their mom's illness was. Mm. 
and to worry day to day of where's my mom at or why did she do this or you know um and i i just keep telling him that's your mom is sick you know your mom who your mom really is that's not her you know but it was tough it was a tough journey to walk next to him with as they try to understand and cope what mm -hmm. it is to love someone with bipolar manic you know and um then she came out of it uh, that manic episode and there was about a couple days um she was balanced and she sent me a nice text saying hey i'm sorry because she had called the police a couple times while she was up in washington during this very last one saying i was abusing all the children all this, it was all delusion stuff and um and so the police would come over to my house and knock kaiser please yeah yeah and just that's interesting yeah yeah um and they all a lot of people knew megan's struggles yep. you know but their job to, well, to make they sure. still have to check stuff out absolutely. and verify stuff absolutely and you know after everything was obviously verified everything's okay um they um she she apologized for stuff and she doesn't uh, like i said before she didn't remember yeah. um, what it was or the things that she did and like she gave away her family dog she thought a chip was in it while she was up in washington and they thought the, she thought the police were tracking through the dog yeah okay yeah i mean this some pretty things <laughs> and um so the kids had a lot of things to cope with that you know, and, and I said, this isn't your mom. And that's just kind of the continued message, you know, yeah. and that long journey of, of me trying to just be next to him. And, and I don't have the answers. And that was so tough, me as a man and as a dad and as a cop who's expected to have answers. Mm -hmm. um, but I learned the best way to be with someone who's, who's hurting is just say, I don't know, but I'm here with you. You know, and this is what I went through and maybe this might work, but I don't know. You know, I'm just here with That's you. Humility and compassion. Mm -hmm. You know, we as guys, we want to know all things. Yeah. Ego yeah. and pride. Yeah. And, but reality is we don't. Right. And I think it, it, you really did do a great job of honoring Megan, your kids, mm -hmm. by just being open and transparent and humble about it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what, what, from there, what happened? Um, last August, um, this is of 22, 20, uh, we're now in 20, 22. Yeah. Sorry. I know, I'm we, not used we, to being in 24. Yeah. Happy new year, by the yeah, way. We're in 2024. Year, yeah. Yay. It's crazy. Where does time go? Yeah. Um, this was summer of 22. Um, she went into a pretty deep depressive cycle and it was, I've only seen it one other time. And when it's a really deep depressive cycle, um, it's very common for people to even have a trouble getting up to take a shower, to do basic functions when it's that that severe. And she, Megan was there, and um, there was a birthday party she made it to somehow, and she it was Blake's birthday party, his seventeenth uh, birthday party, and I was working, but I stopped by. Um, it was at Megan's mom's house and I saw her and I was like, Oh no, this is a bad one. Mm. Um, but she, she was dating someone at the time. So I didn't want to intrude, you know, in some ways. And, yeah. but I, um, I, I, I texted her later and it was tough for my son to see his mom like that. Um, and I, I texted her later. I'm like, Hey, um, because Blake shied away from her a little bit, but also he was shied away from other people's reactions towards Megan because a lot of people were like, oh, you just need to do this and this. Her family was kind of being, um, some family was being aggressive on how, you know, what she should do and should mm -hmm. not do. Everybody has the answer. Yeah. And um, so Blake got stressed out by that and just, in fact, called me to pick him up while I was working to take him home. And then Megan thought it was her. So I, I, called Megan and said, Hey, it's, it's not you go be with your son. He loves you, you know? Yeah. And then, so he, she did, she went over to my apartment and saw him. And then, um, about a week later, um, um, a couple of coworkers of mine knocked on my door and said, uh, Megan had killed herself. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
That's rough. Yeah. I can tell by your face and your emotion that pain probably doesn't go away. No, it doesn't. Um, it doesn't go away. Um, it diminishes over time, but just even like with my mom's death, there's moments where it hits me, you know, um, they just become less and less, but it's always there. The pain never goes away, you know, but it, it was, it was an amazing, um, time in the fact that I was really able to connect with my kids and become closer with them in a lot of ways, you know, and, um, and Megan had left a journal. It was kind of a, end up being like a suicide journal. And she really journaled her last couple months of her life. And she did. Yeah. And, um, and in fact, she journaled after she did the act that she did to take her life. She was still journaling a little bit till the end. Um, but it, it was good closure for the kids and me. Blake, I don't think has read it yet. And, I gave that option to him because yeah. the police end up seizing. This was down in Albany, yeah, okay. and the police ended up seizing it as part of the uh, the crime scene and all that. Um, and I was a little unsure of was it suicide, was it something else? But I was reassured by the detectives that there was clear evidence that it was. Yeah. So I just went with that. Um, I didn't share that with the kids too much at the time, even with my own doubts. But they said, as soon as you read the journal, it'll kind of make it clear. Um, but she had been thinking about this for a while. And the one, you know, without going a lot of details, because Blake hasn't really read the journal, but she said it was more painful to be alive than it was to be dead. And that was, that was kind of a real impactful thing to just mm. hear her, the pain she was in and the battle she fought every day. You know, a compassion for Megan and people who deal with, you know, mental disorder. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not their fault. No. You know, and they want to desperately be free from whatever pain they're dealing with. But yeah. I can only imagine you could lose hope. Yeah. And I think Megan just. Well, lost with her, hope. Um, the nice thing about the journal was it answered questions and she realized the impact that it had on her kids, the last manic episode, because her kids um, kind of said, mom, this was hard. We need to get you some more help. This isn't working. And rightly so for them, you know, because um, they were coming to the realization of things. And she was willing to do that. And um, But then when it came to start doing that, it was very tough for her. Mm. She just couldn't pull that trigger. And then she had, she lost hope of um, would this ever happen again, and all the research is saying that it's a progressive disease. Yeah, yeah. So she didn't have hope because the medication she took her medication, and it just still kept getting worse. Stuff getting worse. Yeah. Well, through all this, God still has a plan. Yes. For you, for Megan, for your kids. Yeah. And now you've transitioned. You began dating a lady. Mm -hmm. You got engaged. Yeah. What does that mean to you? Uh, as Bobby says, it's our redemption story, you know? And it, it's it was quite a journey because um, I met Bobby before Megan committed suicide, yeah. you know? So it was something that, um, in fact, Megan's suicide is what convinced me that to marry uh, Bobby, to ask her to marry me. Okay. Because the way she handled that with grace and um, she gave me the freedom to grieve. Wow. She's a good lady. Yeah. Yeah. But she, um, yeah, she's a special lady. Mm. Yeah. She loves the Lord. Jesus is her center and and uh, she brings me new joy in life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and like Job, you know, if you ever read the story of Job, you mm -hmm. know, he loses everything. I mean, literally loses everything. Yeah. But God's redemption is he strips you naked. Yeah. And then he reclothes you with his glory. Yeah. And his blessing. And Job received double his blessing, double whatever he had, mm -hmm. but he knew it was from God. Yeah. And I know this is 
I can't, I don't know what you went through, Scott. This is your story. I hear you. And, and I know somebody out there will be going, yep, I understand. Mm -hmm. But pain is pain. Mm -hmm. And we all deal with pain. Yeah. Just has a different name to it. But I believe God does it to all of us because mm -hmm. he wants to, he loves us enough to draw us into himself. And unfortunately, pain is the only mm -hmm. mechanism that he can allow. He doesn't cause it, but he allows it yeah. to draw you into himself. And you can either get angry and blame God and, you know, go live a different life, or you can be humbled by it mm -hmm. and let God change you. And what I see is God, you know, you and I had this conversation over coffee even mm -hmm. 30 days ago. And, yeah. you know, I, I've known you for a long time, but I, I don't think I ever knew your faith. And so for me, um, I, I can see it clearly where God's working yeah. in your life. So that's really refreshing. Unfortunately, it came through a lot of pain. Yeah. Well, I, how I looked, my faith journey through all these things was um, fairly simple. I, I looked at it as um, God knows what's going to happen in the future, right? He knew this was coming, and he knew I was stubborn enough not to change on my own. Uh -huh. So he put things in place like pain to prepare me so I could prepare, be there for other people like my children and to make the easiest path forward for them. You mm -hmm. know, So I, I really look at it as a servant place he put me in and I'm honored that he chose me to do that. You know, Man, it takes a lot of humility to actually admit, you know, we're stubborn. Yeah. I wake up every morning trying to serve myself and please myself and what's in it for me. Yeah. And that's not how this works. Yeah. And I, I give a lot of uh, my faith um, journey credit to my uh, shout out to Rise Up, which is my Bible study group. Yeah. Because when all the churches closed down, we really didn't have a lot of places to go. And I was kind of in between churches with the divorce because I was at home at New Harvest for so long. And, you know, that was all Megan's family. So I yeah. didn't think... It was, you know, although I'm still close to Megan's family to this day, um, it's still just, I wanted to start my own path a little bit. Um, but I um, I got a part of a small Bible study group, mm -hmm. you know, for the last two to three years. And even we met two days after Megan's suicide. And it was just so many times and places they, they walked through with me. Yeah. Hey, I know we're going to wrap up here in just a moment, but this yeah. is really... Good stuff. I mean, where God's brought you. This Bible study group, is this uh, your Kaiser buddies? Is um, who, Who's in this group and what does it mean to you to be a part of this group of men? Yeah, it's actually a, more of a couple group. Um, uh, there's Andrew and Kara um, okay. Copeland. Yeah. Um, there is um, Jenny, who's Kara's sister. And then there's the... Uh, the Baldries, who are another couple, and yeah. then all the kids. So it's kind of more just of a family-oriented so couple. Yeah, and then Bobby comes when she can. Yeah. She lives up in the metro area. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. So when you guys, when you and Bobby get married, mm -hmm. uh, will you move up there? Will she move down here? Well, What's she, that future look like? Yeah, she works for uh, mental health, actually, in yeah. Washington County for the sheriff's office as one of their crisis. You guys are in the same field, man. Yeah, I know. Oh, <laughs> I'm yeah. praying for you. Well, there is, there is, she knows what I go through. I know what she goes through. So there's, I mean, she's not an officer. She's a clinician, but. Um, she gets it though. She, yeah, she does. Um, so we're going to probably pick a spot in between like Wilson. Mm. She lives in Wilsonville currently. So we'll probably pick a spot in Wilsonville. Yeah. Newburgh area. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Well, Scott, I know this is a lot to unpack and I really enjoy yeah. time with you. I appreciate um, just hearing how you honored Megan, that's really a big deal. Yeah. Um, you couldn't fix it. it. wasn't your job to fix it. It was the journey that God was going to allow mm -hmm. lessons to be learned. Mm. And, uh, you know, I love the verse, uh, his mercies are new every morning. Mm. So this morning I woke up and his mercies are new this morning mm. for you and me and for anyone who wants to believe that. Amen. So... Whew. Well, I'll be checking in on you guys. Uh, yeah. I hope your wedding goes well. And yeah. uh, any big plans for a, a, a grandiose honeymoon? Go anywhere? Um, 
we're kind of outdoors people. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we're actually uh, just uh, booked the other day. We're taking a road trip up to uh, Canada to go to Banff and Jasper National Parks up in that area, the Rockies of Canada. How yeah. cool is that to start yeah. off your marriage and yeah. get away and unplug? And, yeah. Yeah. Well, Lord bless you and your family as you, you're on a new journey. Thank you. Uh, yeah, pray God's blessing upon you guys, and I'll be praying for you for sure. Thank you, buddy. Well, thanks for being here today. Thank you all for listening today. It was fantastic to just hear the story and unpack a really difficult thing, and and I hope you gain something from this and really just learn to appreciate your family and really honor them and really pay attention to those, especially for men, to pay attention to, to the cues we don't get that our wives probably give to us time and time again, but it's all relational, not what you bring to the table. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you all for taking the time each week to be encouraged, challenged, and loved. Remember what Jesus said? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. My hope and prayer is that you believe the words of Jesus. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much.